Hello, our darklings. This is Auditities and Clitterosities podcast. I am your ghostess, Christy Kroll, here with the sexy as ever, might I add, Thanks. Ashley Key. Hello. How are you today, Ashley? I'm good. It's raining. I'm tired and feeling a little sickly. Oh, no. That's okay. Yeah, we're... We're swapping germs up in this pod lab because we're we're both pretty yuck. I gave you my yuck again, and I'm sorry. That's okay. I give you mine, so it it's ba- <laughs> it balances. I feel like by the time I finally got my normal voice back, I think I had my normal voice for maybe one or two episodes, and now I'm back to hello, my babies. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, I am so excited about today's episode. I cannot wait to hear everything that you have to say. As you darklings know from our, you know, little intro from last week that we told you about and from obviously the subject matter in the episode description, today we are talking about serial killer Eileen Wuornos. Oh man. Do you know a whole lot about Eileen? Um... Not really. I know that she had, you know, the typical story, rough childhood, life of crime to try to make ends mean. Ends mean? No. Means end. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, and that she shot some guys and that she was convicted and murdered at the end. Well. That's about all I know. You are in for a deep dive. Oh my god, I'm so excited. So, Ashley, Darklings, everyone, hold on to your titties. Eileen Wuornos is the epitome of nurture versus nature, creating a monster. Only she had both working against her. While this is in no way an excuse for the actions we are going to discuss today, it is at the very least a wildly telling explanation, quote-unquote, if you can call it that. Before we get started, I do want to give a bit of a trigger warning. There is a lot, lot, lot of mention of rape in this episode. Um, There is mention of rape, there is mention of murder, obviously, there is mention of incest, sexual assault, molestation on a child, there is a lot to unpack here. So if this is not something that you are comfortable hearing, I really, really, really recommend just giving this one a skip, our feelings won't be hurt, Um, I 1000% understand, however, I do feel that if this is something that you are okay listening to, it's important. So with that being said, let's get into Eileen. She was born Eileen Carol Pittman, February 29th, 1956 in Rochester, Michigan, to mother Diane Warnos and sperm contributor Leo Dale Pittman. Right from the jump, Eileen was doomed a harrowing and traumatizing life. Her parents were the parental dream team At just 14 and 18, they got married in 1954. They birthed her older brother, Keith, in March of 1955, but after less than two years of marriage and two months before Eileen was born, Diane filed for divorce from Leo before giving birth to Eileen at the age of 16. That's so young. Such a baby. Such a baby. 
Could you imagine having a kid and raising it? At... I couldn't imagine doing it now when I'm in my 30s. I can't process that. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking back to who I was at 16, and I know that who I was at 16 and who you were at 16 are still very <laughs> contrasting states of maturity. Yeah. But I just can't, I can't fathom that. And she was 15 when she had her brother Keith. Right. Well, I mean, and I, I did have to grow up really quick. And I mean, but still, even now, like, I just, I feel like there's a shout out to parents. Because if it were up to people like Christy and I, the world would end in our generation. Because (laughs) I feel like I just have so much things to do. And they're not kid friendly or dog friendly. So I just choose not to do it. I concur. Yeah. Yeah. I've always made the joke that once I can keep my kids in a cage, like in a kennel and go somewhere, (laughs) (laughs) then I would probably have a kid. But since that is frowned upon and then we would create a tiny little serial killer, kids are not in Ashley's future. We'd create an Eileen. No, for sure. 100%. (laughs) It, uh, it reminds me of, I think it was Cameron Diaz whenever asked why she didn't have children don't quote me on this, but I'm fairly sure I'm, I'm fairly sure it was Cameron Diaz. She said something to the effect of, you know, my life is so fabulous and fantastic. I love my life. Why would I do anything to change that that drastically? Yeah. So I respect that. I, I stand yeah. with Cameron. <laughs> I love, 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 love being the cool aunt, though. Like, oh, I... hell yeah. Oh, my God. I love that so much. Oh, it's so much fun. Uh, and it's not even, my like, my direct, like, siblings that are having kids. It's best friends and cousins. And, I mean, but I definitely still consider them my nieces and nephews. And they're just... Oh, they're so much fun, especially one of my little nephews that now can like smile and <sighs> he makes all those cute little noises <laughs> and he reaches for my colorful hair and my tattoos and I just got love him so much. It's he tries so to peel your tattoos off like stickers. He does. He tries to pick them off. It's, he doesn't <laughs> understand. It's so cute. So what happened? She gave, um, filed for divorce at 16? Yep. Filed for divorce and had Eileen at the age of 16. So... Eileen never met her scumbag biological father because at the time of her birth, Leo was actually incarcerated and spending life in prison for the kidnap and raping of a seven-year-old little girl. Wow. Yeah. Um, Diagnosed schizophrenic, Leo Dale Pittman would eventually die by suicide in January of 1969 by hanging himself in prison. He Hmm. was a real winner. Yeah. You know, I I don't... I'm one of those people that I don't feel like suicide is ever, I don't hardly feel like suicide is ever the answer, but sometimes it is the answer. I feel like he chose the correct answer. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes suicide's the answer. (laughs) If you're kidnapping and raping children, just go ahead. Yeah, and just, just go ahead. Natural selection. Take yourself out of this world. Nobody needs you. Nobody wants you. Right. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Speaking of winners, <laughs> backtracking to uh, 1960, after a short six years of motherhood to Keith and four to Eileen, Diane decided to abandon her children and ditched them with her parents, alcoholics Lori and Britta Wernos who, just a few short months later, would legally adopt Keith and Eileen. They would somehow convince them that they were their real parents, but only kept this lie up for a few years. Mm. Yeah. 
Her grandfather, or whom she thought was her dad, um, also once forced her to watch him drown a cat she wasn't allowed to keep. And he would end up beating and sexually assaulting her during her childhood while her grandmother, or in her mind, mom, would just look the other way and let it happen. Before beating her, he would force Eileen to strip out of her own clothes in front of him. And Eileen somehow managed to keep all of her shit together until around the age of eight when she found out that her, quote, parents were actually her grandparents. Um, At this time, she started really acting out violently at school. She suffered from a hair-trigger temper that she never learned to control. And she performed poorly at school despite having an average IQ. But ironically, she had a verbal IQ of about 20 points lower than average. And you can hear in interviews, she did a lot of interviews in prison and such. You can hear she she talks like a child. Mm -hmm. Um, It's definitely 1,000% arrested development. Because whenever she's telling a story, not only does she have wild, fantastic details that are just all over the place, but she lies all the time, and her stories constantly contradict each other, and whenever she's speaking, she sounds very childlike, because it's very, and then, and then, and blah, 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 and then, it's like, it's like talking to a kid. So, there's a study that was done, I'm gonna have to look more into it, I don't completely agree with it, um, but I see how in some personalities... Um, it rings very true where they say that your core development stops at the time of an extremely traumatizing part of your life. I completely believe that. Yeah. And so I've met a lot of people that are like that. Like you find out, you know, like they, um, there was a person that was in my life for a little while that, um, you know, she just struggled with, Um, alcohol she struggled with drugs she went to rehab after rehab after rehab and once her you know her parents said that you know she had a really traumatizing thing happen to her and she was like 13 14 years old it all made sense because I was like holy shit that's right that's how she thinks she thinks like you know, like, like a, a 13 or 14 year old would. And so I wonder if that's why, since it all started so young for her, um, that that's why she kind of speaks like a child. And also my thought when you said that, you know, that she kind of lost it at eight. Um, as we all know, some girls start puberty really early. I oh, started yeah. mine obnoxiously early. Um, I'm wondering if maybe puberty and hormones is not what finally set her off. Oh, I would. That makes total sense. Yeah. Especially, like you said, like, um, you know, some girls naturally do start early. I know that whenever sexual assault at such a young age happens, it can actually trigger your hormones and your body to start doing things that it shouldn't be doing yet. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. So, in regards to her behavior and her um, poor performance at school and stuff, her grandmother really didn't give a flying fuck at all and just blamed her behavior on, quote, not paying attention. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Seven years after being legally adopted by these gaping assholes at the tender young age of 11, this is where it starts getting a little rougher too, guys. Um, Eileen became sexually active and engaged in sexual sexual exchanges during school for drugs, cigarettes, and food. 
This earned her the most wretched nickname I've ever heard, Cigarette Pig. Oh, at yeah. 11 years old. At 11 years old, Eileen Warnos was nicknamed Cigarette Pig. These exchanges would sometimes involve five or six boys at a time in the woods behind school. Um, and not only did she engage in sexual acts with boys at school, but as well as her older brother, Keith. Hmm. So, at the uh, age of 13 in 1970, Eileen was hitchhiking home from a party when she was picked up by a friend of her grandfather's, who proceeded to rape her, resulting in pregnancy. On March 13, uh, March 23rd, excuse me, 1971, at the age of 14, similar to her mother, she gave birth to a baby boy at a home for unwed mothers, where the baby was placed up for adoption. And that's where my knowledge on that child ends. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how he's doing. I hope to anything and everything that he does not know who his real mother is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just a few months later, Eileen chose dropping out over getting detention after the principal busted her doing drugs at school. He said, you're in big trouble, Missy. And she said, like hell. And she walked out the door and never went back. Hmm. She was a freshman in high school. Um, Eileen shows dropping out over detention. Uh, around this time, her alcoholic grandmother died of liver failure, and her piece of shit grandfather threw her threw her out of the house on her 15-year-old ass. After this, she started supporting herself through sex work, burglary, and begging while living in the woods close to her home before gradually hitchhiking and sucking dick through multiple states including Colorado, where she was arrested at 18 for disorderly conduct, driving under the influence, and shooting a 22 caliber pistol from a moving vehicle, and then again for failure to appear at court, <laughs> before making her way down to old reliable for debauchery and mayhem, the sunshine state of Florida. Nothing good ever comes from Florida. <laughs> I love Florida, but we all know. Aww. We all know. <laughs> we do have some folks that we love from Florida. I, I, yes, 1,000%. <laughs> but they will agree, Florida be wilded. They can't control where they're born. No. <laughs> In 1969, 20-year-old Eileen met and quickly married 69-year-old retired yacht club president, Louis Gratz Phil. What a title. Right. Like, I'm sure that being a yacht club president really means something in Florida. I don't know. Their marriage <laughs> was announced in the local newspaper's society pages. Oh, fancy. However, Eileen couldn't... She, she couldn't maintain her ways. She yeah. was constantly engaging in confrontation and fights at the local bar and briefly went to jail for assault. Um, Eileen also beat Lewis half to death with his own cane, which led to him getting a restraining order against her after only being married for a few weeks. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Well, I mean, she did have a... An attitude on her, that's for sure. <laughs> After the assault on her husband, she returned to Michigan, where she was arrested at a bar and charged with assault and disturbing the peace after throwing a cue ball at a bartender's head. Her brother Keith died, so she and Lewis annulled their marriage after just nine weeks once she received her money, some uh, money from her brother's life insurance policy. That next month, she was arrested for drunk driving, which she paid the fine for with more of the life insurance money. 
She spent the rest on drugs and a luxury car before wrecking it almost immediately after getting it. This life insurance policy, uh, the money payout was in the amount of $10,000, which in today's money would be equivalent to about 50 grand. It was gone in two months. Wow. Yeah. Two months. Now, this is where things start spiraling at rapid fire. So, again, hold on to your titties. <laughs> at the age of 22, in 1978, she attempted suicide by shooting herself in the stomach. Actually, between the ages of 14 to 22, she attempted suicide six times. Um, in 1981, she went manic after an argument with a boyfriend and got Fifty Shades of Fucked Up on a beer, whiskey, and pills concoction, put on a bikini, and robbed a convenience store at gunpoint, where she made out like the world's most direct bandit with $35 and two packs of cigarettes. Oh! <laughs> Whew. In 1984, she was arrested for attempting to pass forged checks at a bank. <laughs> I can't make this shit up. In 1985, she was named as a suspect in the theft of a revolver, uh, in the theft of a revolver and some ammunition. In 1986, she was arrested for car theft, resisting arrest, and obstruction of justice because the identification she had uh, given authorities was bearing her aunt's name. The cops found a 38 caliber revolver and a box of ammo in the car she stole. So, you know, the revolver and ammo that she was a suspect in the theft of. Right, right. Later that year, she was detained after she pulled a gun on a male acquaintance in his car demanding $200. Um, it's not said, I couldn't find whether or not this acquaintance was a friend or someone she was uh, propositioning for sexual acts. I just found that he was an acquaintance and she pulled a gun on him and demanded money. The same year, at the age of 30, whew, is when she met 25-year-old Tyra Moore at a Daytona gay bar named Zodiac. In true lesbian fashion, they moved in together almost immediately. You are lesbians. Eileen <laughs> <laughs> supported them with what she earned doing sex work and robbing people. The following year, 1987, they were both detained regarding an incident in which they assaulted and battered someone with a beer bottle. Later, at her murder trial, she would describe her time with Tyra, also known as Ty, as, quote, it was a love beyond imaginable. Earthly words cannot describe how I felt about Tyra. So it sounds like she... It sounds like she was doing... Like trying to live a real fast life. Yes. And... But didn't... She acted very impulsively. And she didn't actually think things through no absolutely not especially with how bad her temper was yeah like people said that like you can even see it in some of the interviews that she did in prison like if the interviewer asked her a question that she didn't like or made a slight comment that maybe rubbed her the wrong way her eyes would go black she would just flip she'd get all angry and pissed off and start screaming and hooting and hollering like a fucking cat in heat and then the next thing you know she just flip right back and be like okay y'all have a good time now like get, come hugs hugs i'm a hugger like so i really feel like in this situation if she would have been raised differently she would have turned out completely different i agree 
Like, I, I yeah. at the beginning where you said nature versus nurture, if y'all don't know what we mean by that, so they have a theory like, are serial killers born or are they created? Um, some people think that, you know, people are just born evil, which I agree. There are some mm-hmm. people that are just born evil. And then there are people that are born a good old human being blank slate and that are raised just in horrific, awful situations and that are created into having, um, you know, psychopath and sociopathic tendencies to where they turn into serial killers. Um, I do wonder with Eileen, excuse me, how much of it is nature versus nurture because clearly there is no nurturing going on. I think that's why she clung so tightly to Ty is because that was the first bit of attention and nurturing she ever received Mm -hmm. regardless of how half-assed it was. But when it comes to the nature of Eileen, I mean, look at her familial history. This being, before I get into this, I know that there are so many wonderful humans that come from absolute shit past and absolute horrific families it ran in the family until it ran into them and they have just absolutely soared and gone forward to be great humans but I feel like something deep in Eileen between her father's schizophrenia her mother being just a dirtbag human both of her grandparents being alcoholics her grandfather being a pedophile like I feel like there's there's some evil in that bloodline. Well, I mean, is it evil or is it mental illness? Because all of those things that you're talking about, they're all linked to some kind of mental illness. This is true. So, I mean, with some good, with a good nurturing family, maybe a little bit of medication to help balance <laughs> out all the serotonin that's not there or that needs to be there. Because um, you said that, you know, she would flip and she would be like, she would be more nice and said that she was a hugging person and... um you know, so I'm wondering if now in this day and age with the medical, with the medication and stuff and how focused on mental health that we are with a healthy family, if she would have, she would have probably taken a completely different, I mean, she would have just been another Joe Schmo on the street, you know? Yeah. That's crazy. I'm sorry. No, don't apologize. <laughs> Please don't. Oh, speaking of apologies, completely off topic. I owe a really big apology to you darklings. Um, in our last spooky stories episode, I said something that at the time I did not realize was a racial slur. Um, whenever I had two really short stories and I said that I felt that I was, um, not providing enough, but I used a different word. Whenever I listened back on the episode, Something about the word just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I was like, I wonder what that even means. I've heard it my whole life. I've heard it used my whole life. I've never really thought about it. I looked it up. Turns out it is a derogatory term towards the Romani people. Um, I'm not going to say the word. If you heard it and it rubbed you the wrong way, I don't blame you if you're not listening to this right now. Um, All I can say is I am sorry. I have educated myself. I am learning, we are all learning and growing as humans, and I will do better. So, moving forward. (laughs) Um, So, with Tyra, uh, up until, not Tyra, excuse me, Eileen. 
So up until said murder trial, she managed to avoid much jail time because of her incredible ability to run and maintain multiple aliases, such as Cami Green, Susan Lynn Blochlovic, and Lori Christine Grody. Now, after about 15 years of the drifter lifestyle and selling sexual favors and cut-off t-shirts and jean shorts, Eileen never looked like a prostitute. She wanted to be comfortable. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Spoken to the true, my true inner soul right there. <laughs> so business was starting to slow down to Eileen to be delicate. The years and lifestyle had not been kind to her. Um, she blamed this slowdown in business on Saudi Arabia uh, because all of her regulars she said were lost to the Gulf War. However, the reality was her appearance wasn't what it once was, and her drinking and temper was a constant. Ah. Yeah. So, you add her notorious black crazy eyes to the mix, and who can blame the Johns for not wanting to scoop her up? Right, right. Um, Tyra, on the other hand, started getting real tired of the drifter lifestyle. She was living on frozen dinners, constant instability, a lack of money, and the fear of losing Tyra were quite possibly the instigator for Eileen's year-long murder spree. Hmm. Now, speaking of said spree, let's start on the murders themselves. Beginning with the most heavily debated and first of seven, the murder of Richard Mallory. Now, before we get into these, I do want to reiterate, Eileen tells a lot, told a lot of lies. Eileen's stories never added up. Between questioning of the police, her actual confession, her time at trial, interviews in prison, Eileen's stories changed constantly. This first one of Richard Mallory, I feel, is probably the closest to reality. This is the one that she always kind of goes back and f- Like, the rest she goes back and forth on all over the place. This one she stands pretty firm on. Yeah. Um, and just based on the evidence, I would have to say, yeah, I can see it. So, that being said, Richard Mallory. On November 30th, 1989, 51-year-old convicted rapist Richard Mallory picked Eileen up hitchhiking. According to Eileen, they drove around getting high and drinking for a few hours before she propositioned, propos, that's a hard word with a lisp, propositioned him with sexual favors to make some cash. When he pulled over in a secluded location, she stripped completely naked an argument broke out because he wanted to stay clothed but unzip his pants. Frankly, I don't blame her for getting bent out of shape. A zipper fuck is never a pleasant sensation. <laughs> the argument became heated. The argument became heated, and Eileen claims she could tell he was about to attack and rape her or worse. So, Still nude, she hopped out of the truck and reached through the passenger side window to get her pistol. Richard supposedly grabbed the bag, confirming to Eileen that his intentions were indeed nefarious, so she pulled the twenty two out of her bag and shot him in the chest. He got out of the car and tried to run away, 
but Eileen shot him a second time. When he fell to the ground, she unloaded two more shots into Richard Mallory and then watched him bleed out and die for 15 minutes, all still in the nude. She then went through his pockets, stole all of his money, dragged his body away a bit, and hid it under some dumped carpet she found. That's the first version. Uh, she actually told about three or four versions. Some versions involved self-defense. One featured anal rape. Another version, it was just an accident during a heated argument. However, based on his history as a convicted rapist and things that were said about him not being the greatest person, mm -hmm. I feel it is safe to assume that this one is probably as close to the truth as Eileen's ever going to get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because due to the evidence of the crime scene and the testimony of Tyra Moore, however, it is up for debate what actually happened because Ty testified that on the day of the murder, Eileen had no marks or signs of being in a struggle, did not mention anything about rape, and just flat out told Tyra almost gleefully, hey, I killed a guy today. Hmm. Yeah. Now... The thing is, while Richard Mallory was a convicted rapist, he had undergone extensive therapy upon his release. Um, he was a well-known John in his area. And for those of you listening, if you don't know, a John is somebody that um, in hires sex workers. Um, he was well-known in his area, and none of the other local sex workers said that they had ever felt unsafe or threatened by him at all. That being said, it's always possible that he could have snapped and the monster inside rose to the occasion. He had raped in the past, but I don't know. Or due to Eileen's past, she might have just assumed he was going to rape her when things got heated. Either way, that was a really brutal way for him to die, and Eileen went on to murder at least six more times. So there's that one. You can take it one way or you can take it another way because on one hand I'm like yeah he's a piece of shit he right. raped someone you obviously have something really fucked up inside of you on the other hand the fact that upon his release it wasn't court mandated he chose to go to therapy for it mm -hmm. and back in this time period I mean that wasn't normal yeah. and the fact that he went through extensive therapy to try to better himself as a person the accounts of all of these other sex workers saying, no, we've never had any issue. I've never felt unsafe with him, etc. It leaves a very different feeling. So yeah. take from that what you want, I guess. That one I'm really conflicted on because, I mean, I don't see nothing wrong with any of that. Because therapy or not... You fucking ruin somebody's life because you rape them. Fuck yep. you. You don't ever... You do not ever get to have a happy life ever. That Therapy or not, go fuck yourself. Like, I mean, I wish he would have died more brutally, honest. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, that one... Mm, that one I'm still conflicted on. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah, that one I'm really conflicted on. I'm very... I am very conflicted on it. Um... And then I never in, so this is one thing that I was, it's actually been on my mind recently. And so I'm just going to say it out loud because usually whenever things are on my mind, it, it's across the board and other people just don't want to say it. Say so it. I say it. Um, I'm in this weird, like, 
thought process. Like I love the, you know, the me too movement with the fact that women or people, not just women, that people were so like felt safe and secure with coming forward with their, um, abusers. Um, because that's terrifying. Like that's a very scary thing to be all like, Hey, especially if it's somebody of power, you know? Um, so I, that's what I love about the Me Too movement. What I don't like is the fact that there were people that were obviously not truthful about it. You know, Mm -hmm. fucking Amber Heard, she used the Me Too movement and it wasn't, that wasn't even the situation, you know? So here's where I'm at. When people say, you know, I was sexually abused or I was sexually assaulted, um, Nothing disgusts me more than somebody that lies about that, that hasn't been sexually assaulted. I agree. But saying it for, like, clout or sympathy or whatever. It's um, disgusting. Yeah. It completely invalidates people's actual experiences. Right. But then, on the other hand, like, I will never, you know, when... And I don't even know the situation that it came up in. But, like, somebody was all like, oh, well, do you really think that it happened? Um, first of all, that's not my call. That's not your judgment to make. No, like that's not my call. So, um, if they're lying about it, they need to know in like in their self-conscious that they're a piece of shit for lying about something like that. But I'm not going to say, you know, oh, well, you know, your sexual assault doesn't sound like my sexual assault. So obviously you're lying. Like, because I do, the last thing I want to do is say that, uh, you know, victim shame or say that a victim is lying about it when they really weren't. And so that's one of the reasons, that's why I'm so, one of the main reasons I'm so conflicted with this is because I don't want to say, well, since she faltered on a lot of her stories, you know, obviously she's lying. Right. But what if she wasn't, you know? And that's just, that's, that's one thing that's, it's a hard area to kind of navigate around. That's. This entire case is really hard to navigate around. Yeah. But I would honestly have hated to be one of the jury members. God, I can't even imagine. Um, I will say, moving forward with the murders, that this first one, Richard Mallory, he's really the only one I am extremely conflicted on. Okay. There's maybe one or two that I'm like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. But there are, there is at least one that I'm like, really, Eileen? Okay. Okay. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, and through all of this, but mind you, Tyra, while she never actually murdered anyone, she remained complicit the entire time and never once thought to go to police about it. So Tyra's a scuzzy little worm. She's not the broken, beaten woman that Christina Ricci appeared, uh, portrayed her as in the movie Monster. Tyra's a Oof. She's a piece of work. Yeah. So, moving forward. On May 19th, 1990, Eileen murdered her second victim, 43-year-old David Spears, whom picked her up whilst hitchhiking. David worked out of town and was on his weekly trip home to his wife and children. His wife and him had actually been divorced, but they had been working really hard on their relationship, and they were back together again as a couple. And he had even bought her a new engagement ring and was planning on asking her to marry him again. Hmm. This weekend was even more special because David, uh, it was his daughter's 23rd birthday, and he happened to have a wad of about $500 in cash for her uh, as his present. 
Now, where David picked up Eileen, they were only about 30 minutes from his destination where he was expected at 2 p.m. David was described as predictable and punctual and was very likely picking her up to give her a ride, not for sexual favors. Yeah, and I do want to point out again that she did not dress like your typical sex worker. She literally wore cut-off t-shirts and blue jean shorts. She wanted to be comfortable and she wanted to look like a harmless mom. Yeah. She did not look like a sex worker. So it, it would make sense that somebody that's not looking for sexual favors would pick up somebody like that to help, like, to give them a ride. Help a, oh, this, this mom-looking woman's right. stranded out here. She needs a ride. I better pick her up before something bad happens to that's her. That's why, I, unfortunately, I do not pick up hitchhikers. Do not pick up hitchhikers. And it's so sad because there's been a, there has been a handful of times in my life that I had somebody with me. That we would take somebody home. There was a time in my life, you know, when I was homeless and I needed a ride from somewhere. Um, be careful. You cannot Can't trust, trust anybody nowadays. And it's people like this that has just fucked it up for the rest of us. Now, in Eileen's version of this, they drove 80 miles out of the way and started engaging in sex at around 1 in the morning. 11 hours after he was supposed to be meeting his family. She claims he got violent, so she shot him three times. Autopsy results reveal she actually shot him six times. She left him on the side of the road, stripped naked, apart for his baseball cap, and made off with the $500 intended for his daughter. Mm. Only two weeks later, she offed her third victim. 40-year-old Charles Karskadon was on his way to pick up his fiance. He'd gotten a job out of state, and so he was going to pick his fiance up so that they could go out to Missouri for this new job. Um, he scooped up Eileen hitchhiking. She shot him, claiming he tried to rape her, and upon searching his car afterwards, felt that the forty-five pistol she found in the glove box was proof of his intentions to kill her. After finding the gun, she shot his already dead body four more times, she stripped him naked, dumped him on the side of the road, and covered his body in a blanket and grass before picking up Tyra in Charles's car and taking his gun out to the woods for target practice. Ty never once was like, oh, where'd this car come from? Oh, where'd this new pistol come from? Right. Sweet. New wheels, new gun. Let's go have target practice. Right. Victim number four came a week later with 65-year-old Peter Seams. This is the one where I'm just like, come on, Eileen. Missionary Peter worked, uh, uh, picked up Eileen hitchhiking in his Bible-filled Pontiac on his way to visit relatives in Arkansas. Eileen claims they had planned to have sex on a blanket in the woods, but as they were supposedly about to get busy, she could, quote, tell he was about to rape her. So she shot him dead, left his body in the woods, and stole his car. Um, this Pontiac Sunbird is actually what ended up being a major component in getting her busted as she took a shine to it. Not only did Eileen leave a bloody palm print, but when Tyra ended up crashing it later, witnesses described Eileen and Tyra, which confirmed investigators' suspicions of a female killer upon discovering the car belonged to missing Peter Sims, whose body was never actually found because Eileen was so fucked up and loaded when she killed him that she couldn't remember where she left him. Um, and she did end up keeping one of the Bibles out of his car with her and Tyra's belongings as a trophy. Mm. Yeah. 
65 year old missionary with a car full of Bibles. Right. I'm not I'm not saying she's lying, but I'm saying that one really rubs me the wrong way. So, at the end of July, Eileen claimed her fifth victim, 50-year-old sausage salesman Troy Burris, while he was out on a delivery. She again claims he was going to rape her, so she shot him twice with her 22 caliber and dumped his body in Ocala National Forest. A picnicking family discovered his decomposing body, which was so far gone and decomposed in the Florida heat that he had to be identified by his wedding ring. Oh, damn, that sucks. Yeah. And might I add, wedding rings, when it comes to men, they're not all that... There's not a whole lot of variation, especially right. back in I wonder you know, if the they 90s. Had, if they had, like, an engraving or something. In yeah, yeah, that's really sad. We're getting there. Victim six was murdered September 11th, 1990. 56-year-old Dick Humphreys was described as a compassionate human that would go out of his way to help people. He was a former police chief who found a second career as a child abuse investigator. His body was found by some children behind some houses, slumped over with his pockets turned inside out. He had a circular bruise near his rib cage, which indicated a pistol had likely been held there for an extended period of time during, say, a robbery. <laughs> he had been shot six times in the torso, the location of her other five victims' gunshots. However, this time, she shot the final blow execution style to the back of the head. A very loud display of what we like to call serial killer escalation. Mm-hmm. Eileen once again cried rape, or wolf, depending on which lenses you want to look at this story through. So, our final victim, 60-year-old Walter Antonio, was shot to death by Eileen Wernos on November 17, 1990. Walter was a trucker and security guard and member of the reserve police force. She left him stripped naked, shot in the back of the head three times. So, Investigators couldn't ignore all the similarities in the crimes, and it was clear they had a serial killer on their hands. So, they blasted Tyra and Eileen's police sketches from that accident that Ty had crashing the Pontiac. They blasted it all over Hell and Creation, and when Ty discovered that she was a wanted woman for murders that she hadn't technically engaged in, she'd had enough and decided to cut bait and run the hell away from Eileen. So, when things got hot, she's like, nah, I'm going to dip. Right. This is not for me anymore, my friend. Eileen was traced to some goods of her first victim, Richard Mallory, that she had pawned. Because although she had given the alias of Cammie Green, she still, by the laws of Florida, had to provide a thumbprint to sell this camera. So... Once they tied that thumbprint to the palm print left in the Pontiac, it came up as alias Lori Grody. So now police departments all over the state of Florida finally banded together and brought all of their evidence together and revealed the true identity of our killer, Eileen Carol Wernos. So, January 9th, 1991, two undercover police officers posing as drug dealers in Daytona Beach found her at a pub and followed her to a biker bar, ironically called The Last Resort. (laughs) (laughs) She drank until she passed out, and when she finally came to, they arrested her on the spot on one of her aliases' outstanding warrants. 
that you know you're doing a lot of bad shit when one of your aliases has warrants. An outstanding warrant. (laughs) (laughs) Police tracked down Tyra in Pennsylvania the next day following Eileen's arrest. Knowing she was in hot water for for being so complicit in the murder spree... Tyra offered to get Eileen to give a confession in exchange for immunity. This was not an offer the police gave. This was an offer that Ty offered up. Oh, okay. Yes. The love of Eileen's life. Well, I mean, love of life or not, if, like, okay. It's one thing if you had no idea and you didn't ask questions. So, okay, say Omar, like, flew off the deep end, went into this manic tailspin, and, like, robbed a bunch of banks, right? Right. And you knew about it because all of a sudden he has millions of dollars (laughs) and you're living the lush, like, lavish life and having a great time. And then all of a sudden, you're wanted with it because, you know, y'all are pictured together, whatever, in a, a, a getaway vehicle. So now you're wanted for the exact same bank robberies, but you didn't have anything to do with it. But they're trying to pin you with Omar. You wouldn't flip? No, I'm right or die, baby. So you would go to prison for something that you <laughs> didn't do because your old man went in like a manic state. I am ride or die for my man. I will make those prison bitches my bitches. Says a person that's never been to jail. <laughs> it, it ain't that fun. <laughs> it's terrifying. No, it, I I would say the same for me, but it would be Brandy that would be coupled in with some stupid shit that I did. I feel like... Because I don't... She... I, I, she's been, I've been to jail. She has too. Sorry, babe. I'm putting your business out there. We've both been, and it was just county, but it was long enough to let me know that, <laughs> no, nah, fuck that. I do not want to go back. And I know she wouldn't do anything to have her be put back into that situation. Right. So it would be me going on one of my manic binges. Tailspins. Right. Yeah. I'm gonna ask I'm gonna I'm gonna ask her. You know, I mean I feel like we would just go out Bonnie and Clyde style. Right, right. Like right. the minute he's busted, we're like, all right, what do we do? Yeah. But I wouldn't just offer everything up. That's true. Like I would be like, mm, I didn't and know. And y'all are working on a different like intelligence level than these two oh. as well. <laughs> so it would be more of a how can we get out of the country as soon as possible? Exactly. Either how can we get out of the country as soon as possible or, I mean, he's, we've, we've talked about it and he's told me like, you don't know anything. I didn't tell you shit. You yeah. had no idea. Yeah. Ty knew. You're right. Ty knew. She, I mean, she even said, Eileen was like, yeah, I killed a guy today. Yeah. Hey, look, I've got this new pistol. Let's go target practice. Like Ty fucking knew. Hmm. Yeah. So, Eileen finally came clean via jail phone call conversations with Ty. Some speculate to keep Tyra out of jail. Others think Eileen was just looking to get it over with. Within two weeks, you heard that correctly. Two weeks, her attorneys, the investigators, Tyra, and Eileen herself had all sold the rights to their stories. 
Hmm. Messy. Right. What's even wilder is the deal sort of began before Eileen had even been arrested. What? The mother of the producer of the movie Monster had recognized Eileen in a grocery store, like, from her wanted poster, gave her her daughter's business card, and told Eileen, you should give her a call and make some money. Oh. Yeah. Real gross. Capitalism is so gross. Right. Eileen pled no contest to some of the murders and guilty to the rest. Her story changed again for her to, quote, get right with God and claimed that Richard Mallory is the only one that raped her. The rest she lied about. Again, in later interviews, these stories would bounce all over the place and she claimed that self-defense claim against Richard Mallory was a lie. It doesn't even matter. She killed these men. Mm -hmm. She was sentenced to death. We will never know what stories uh, are true or not, as her stories are constantly flipping. And while never officially diagnosed, it is believed that she did suffer from borderline personality disorder, making her death sentence quite a bit of a controversy. Right, right, right. And, you know, that's one thing that I... Because it sounds like with Richard... That was the first one, right? Yes. So it sounds like with Richard's murder that it... And I've been thinking about this as you were saying... Like, the whole series of events post-Richard's murder. So, it sounds like with Richard's murder and that whole interaction and the assault and everything, that something just flipped. And she just, especially with how fast it happened. How quickly it escalated. Yeah. And so, borderline personality disorder would fit 100%. Now, another thing with that is a lot of women... So I say women because um, it's usually like more women than men will suffer from borderline personality disorder. Yes. And I have only dealt with specifically women that have suffered from borderline personality disorder. Um, So the sad thing is a lot of them grow out of it. Like Mm -hmm. they've been shown to grow out of it, you know? And so once they're in, now it's in their usually like late 20s and early 30s whenever they do but it's like a light switch goes off and it's a complete difference whole new person um so that is you know i'm i get it i'm still sad for her i am too i am i am sad for the trauma i am sad for young eileen i am sad for the struggles that adult eileen didn't know how to manage But then on the other hand, it does not take away, it does not make the suffering of the victim's families any easier. No, and it doesn't justify murder. Right, right. Um, Mental illness or not, you have to be held accountable whenever you do something like that. Um, I do feel, I mean, I, I constantly have internal struggles with my feelings on the death penalty. Whenever it comes to clear trauma and mental health I'm gonna say it I don't think that Eileen should have been put to death right I think that she should have stayed in high maximum security prison the rest of her life I don't Mm -hmm. think that she should have been killed um but then again I I have very (laughs) interesting feelings on the death penalty well see and I don't I don't have interesting feelings. I I definitely agree with the death penalty, and I definitely think that, you know, it should be there, and it should, 
and be active and working, but I also don't feel like she should have been put to death. Right. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. On October 9th, 2002, at 9.47 in the morning, Eileen Carol Warnos was executed by lethal injection. Her final meal, a cup of black coffee. Her last words were, I'd just like to say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus. June 6, like the movie, big mothership and all, I'll be back. And that is the tale of Eileen Wernos. Mentally ill up until the last day. Up until her last breath. Jeez. That's fucking wild. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not any... Any less conflicted? I'm not any less conflicted. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still, you know, like, I know what trauma to a child can do. And I know what struggling in your early teens can do. And and this is all from, like, personal experience. Like, I get it. Um, You find yourself in really dark places. And you will do everything and anything to survive. Yeah. Um, And she was obviously trying to survive if... You know, granted, she was not doing it the right way, but she was obviously trying to survive this whole time. Especially if right at the very end, you know, she was immediately trying to sell her rights to the story so she could still get money to survive. She knew what she was doing, you know. Um, It's sad. It is sad. And that's, that's why she's my favorite one to cover because she is, it's such a conflict of emotion and maybe that's just because I like the balance of, right. well, did she or didn't she? Did he or didn't he? Yeah. Is it nature? Is it nurture? Like, I just, I'm so fascinated by this whole dichotomy of a human. Right, right. Because usually it's super straightforward. You know, Ted Bundy, very obviously kidnapped, raped, murdered women. That's what he did. Did they, they did not deserve it. They didn't do anything. They, you know, it was obvious. Um, you know, Richard Ramirez stalked, raped, and murdered people. That's what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, is it different because she's a woman? I don't know. We don't have very many women serial killers to kind of compare to. And then even the ones that we do have most of the time, they're either like batshit off the wild, like off the wall, Mm -hmm. like Eileen, or they're more, you know, they go the poison route. Like Black Widows. Mm -hmm. I was just about to say, I can, I mean, I can find a female serial killer that I've always been fascinated by, but she did poison. Mm -hmm. And it was money. Mm -hmm. That was money. That is one thing I've noticed is that women serial killer typically do it for financial gain. Financial or sexual satisfaction men do it a lo- mm-hmm. mainly for sexual a lot of women do it for more financial yeah. gain it's mostly financial gain the only sexual one i can think of is carla faye tucker who said that every time she killed someone she got a tiny little orgasm yeah yeah so hmm. interesting interesting and i mean it even goes back to how much of her childhood really did happen yeah because i mean even later like after all of these stories and the letters and the books and everything that's come out 
her grandfather's son, like her grandparents' son, so I guess her uncle, her uncle, yeah, even came out and said, mm, I mean, I'm not denying what happened to her, but we lived a really normal childhood, and I never saw any of that. Yeah. And again, that's not us trying to discount. Did she have a fucked up childhood? I mean, she obviously went through some kind of trauma with. I was about to say, was that, and was that him trying to save face or right? Like, because he is still living. Is the grandfather still living? Do we? Oh, I don't know. I was about to say because what if the grandfather's still living? Then he doesn't want to get pulled into any of that shit. Exactly. So it's like we we have no idea. Hmm. We have no idea. Hmm. Don't kill people, folks. Don't kill. Make wise choices. You leave a messy, messy shit for everybody else to clean up. And you don't want to end up on our podcast. No. Well. Well. Not, not for, for that. bad things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Because <laughs> we would love to have y'all on our podcast. Yeah. Just... We just don't want to talk about your incarceration or hurting people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless it's one of our kinky episodes and well, it's consensual. If it's consensual hurt, then. But still no guns. Yeah, no, that's that's just... irresponsible. <laughs> <laughs> that's an irresponsible gun owner. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm all about like I'm that it's that's 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 a thing that you know we're not. We might lose some days the right to bear arms, and I know that this is. I am not right wing. I am definitely a libertarian. I do not want to get mistaken for right winged. <laughs> I am definitely a libertarian, but guns are something that I feel like due to being irresponsibly, you know, kept and sold and used, we'll lose that soon. And that's dangerous because where the law abiding folks will lose it, the criminals will always find it. Eileen. Eileen and Ashley. I'll find my, I will fucking, I will find a way to protect myself. Mm -hmm. That goes bang, bang. Bang. <laughs> so I don't have to be up close and personal. I just want to, I don't want to, I don't want to break a nail or get my hands dirty. I'm oh, just squeeze a little that. trigger. Just squeeze, squeeze. Yeah. My pew, little, pew. My little angry Italian that I carry with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Darklings, we'd love to hear your take on Eileen's yes. sordid tale. So shoot us a message on our Facebook page or an email, oddititiespod at gmail.com. We really want to hear your take on this. Especially if you don't agree with us. Yeah. Because I would love to see, like, open my mind. Make me see that she was completely and unrefutably a monster and try to convince me. I want to give me, give me reasons. Don't just say she was a monster because then I'm going to laugh and be all like, well, LOL, no proof. Next. Show me why. Tell us. Well, Darklings, with that being said, we'll tune in next week with some spooky stories for you guys. And all of that being said, make wise choices, but have happy hauntings. Bye!